This program is brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM. If you like what you hear and want to support our work, please make a donation at fundraiser.resonance.fm. You're listening to Panel Borders on Resonance 104.4 FM and DAB in London. I'm Alex Fitch, and this is Resonance's monthly show about comics, graphic novels, and sequential art. In today's program, I'm talking to a pair of legendary European comic book creators whose work is normally focused on the film noir genre. Later in the program, I'm talking to Egort about his classic graphic novel, Five is the Perfect Number, which he's recently converted into a movie, acting as director on this adaptation of his original comic. However, before that, in a Q&A which was recorded at the Lakes International Comic Art Festival, I'm talking to Geordie Burnett about his career in comics, starting with classic British titles before moving on to the legendary serial Torpedo and American Western Jonah Hex. The Q&A was recorded in front of a live audience with translation by Miguel Dominguez. So, Geordie... You broke into comics at the tender age of 15 and the reasons for that were a mixture of tragedy and opportunity because of the death of your father. Had you had any ambitions to draw comics as a career at that point or did you have an entirely different idea for a career? Ante todo, diles que lamento mucho no hablar inglés. Me sabe muy mal, pero... Before anything, he would like to apologize because he cannot speak any English. Yo soy uno de estos tipos que hubiera sido muy difícil que me hubiera dedicado a otra cosa. He said he's one of these people that he really couldn't have done anything else because he lived surrounded by artists, comic book artists. His father was a, was an artist, his uncle was an artist. Sí, his uh, mother, mother's uh, brother was a, a writer as well for books and comics and, and whatnot, so... He really had to do it. He had no choice. <laughs> As a child, he used to, to eavesdrop what his father was doing, looking over his shoulder. And he could see his father, he was so talented that he didn't really sketch or use the pencil at all. He went straight on ink for the final, final drawings. He said he's tried that. He's tried that himself, and he cannot do it. But I have seen him doing it. Muy difícil. No, no, no. No es recomendable. Okay, he doesn't recommend it. The earliest comic strips that you worked on were humor comics for Spanish magazines. What kind of opportunities were there in Spain when you started out? Because I imagine there was a certain amount of censorship during Franco's regime. Bueno, sí, la, la censura en España hasta los años 70s. At that age, he was doing uh, all kinds of comics, war comics and, and whatnot for the UK, but they were never credited. Fleetway, Press, Victor, Hornet, Tiger. And in fact, we have been looking around in the charity shops this morning for all the annuals, all their annuals, and he's bought a few. He couldn't find any with his artwork, but he found with all the people he knew, and he knows them, although they're not credited. Well, we, we might need someone like you to actually get in touch with the modern publishers who are re reprinting these old comics, because quite often it actually says artist and writer unknown. So maybe you could become an archivist. Sí, 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 es cierto. Dile porque últimamente en Roma, en Roma hacen un festival de cómics que se llama Romics, que es muy multitudinario. Yeah, so he recently met a British fan in uh, in Rome at the Romics Comic Book Convention, and he showed him a, a paperback with uh, Legend Testers, one of his earliest work for the UK, and he. De, de la Flipway, era. Y que bueno, que estaba encantado y tal. Barely remembered that book. Dice que lo había, dile que lo sabía. He wasn't, apparently he wasn't credited to him, but he spotted the, the, his, his style and he knew it was his. Sí, no sé, se vende, se vende, alguna se ha vendido. Yeah, all these Legend Testers pages were sold a couple of years ago on eBay from the UK. He had never seen them since he sent them to the publisher. 40 years ago. I read that at the start of your career, your influences were sort of classic newspaper strips, the way that you had detailed artwork that was, you know, reproducing sort of classic children's stories. And indeed, the kind of strips that you did for British comics like Lion and Victor 
were as much in the tradition of illustrated children's books as they were comics. Did that suit you as a storyteller at the beginning of your career? In aquellos tiempos, mis influencias puedo decir. He said on his uh, his very early works, his father was his main influence, and then uh, his big influence in his work was Frank Robbins. They met uh, initially when he was very young at Barcelona, and then they kept uh, a friendship. They were a pen pals, and then after that, he said, "You just fly on your own." After that, you have to. You have no choice, actually. His plans were to study art and then try to get a career, but he, he just had to start working straight away because his father. So he learned, he learned on the job and mm. thanks mainly to the British newspapers where he was getting the strips from. Okay. I mean, so I was going to ask, there's obviously very much an element of growing up in public that you were developing your style at the same time that British readers were looking at it. What kind of feedback were you getting? Were there letters pages where the, the readers of these children's comics were telling you that they loved this style? Sí, 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 sí. Bueno, afortunadamente no se ha conectado. Except for him, it was more important the, the, the storytelling and get the dynamic art more than a realistic one. Mm. So he said that seemed to, to click with the readers and he said he got very good feedback from people and also he's always been very in touch with the, with the readers. So he said, yeah, there was very good feedback and he, he really enjoyed that. Mm. After a while, you left British comics and went to work on the Belgian magazine Spirit. Did that open up opportunities in terms of the kind of stories you could tell and the kind of art you could use? Were they more amenable to being experimental, in a sense, compared to the more traditional art you were doing in Britain? Después de la época, después de la época inglesa, me contrataron en Espirú, me pusieron en contacto conmigo y allí realicé varias series. So, yeah, he was working from 1967 in Espirú and yeah, he had a lot of, of, uh, of opportunities to do something new and uh, he doesn't remember that year he ended, it was at least seven years. So he worked on several series, Dan Lacombe, Paul Foran, those were written by his uncle. And then uh, there was another series called Michael, it's about a, a child, an orphan child in Africa. And he lives with a, with a baby lion, who's an orphan as well. <laughs> so because in those times in Spain there was no control about anything, the, the writer of the story, he was a friend of the manager of Barcelona's zoo park. And so he said, oh, he was a big fan, so he, they could have a baby lion at home <laughs> to take us. He had it as a reference. And so when he started growing and chasing the mailman, <laughs> sent it back to the zoo and got another one. <laughs> Another baby lion at home to use as, as reference for the book. Sí, sí, era tremendo. Y él era impresionante porque este amigo mío tenía un niño de diez. So his friend had a six-year-old child, and they used to play together, the child and the lion, and they never had any problem. And then every morning he had to walk the lion on the street. While everybody else is walking the dog, he was just walking the lion, the baby lion. People were looking at him on the street. Pero es, es muy difícil dibujar un león un jovencito. Es, es... Es, es quite hard drawing a baby lion. And there was no internet. It was harder to get a reference then. So it was very handy having a real lion. <laughs> he got a really good uh, set of drawings uh, out of that as a souvenir. Dile que una vez iba por la montaña con el león y de pronto era un... So he was walking the lion one day in the mountains, and when he turned a corner, there was just an old man walking with a with a stick, and he was just got startled. So, so like, no, no, don't worry, it's harmless, really nice. No, yeah, I love I love animals, and he said, for some reason, he just hit the lion on the nose, and the lion didn't like it, obviously, so he just clawed. No, he was trying to be funny. He walked the cane, and he just went to the other mountain, and he had to walk for half an hour to go and get it. O sea, para que veáis que la, la vida de un dibujante es peligrosa también. Sí, es una vida de un artista como un artista. Bueno, presumiblemente, si el lion fue dibujado para la vida, no tenías que traer a los gangsters, y y los vampiros para dibujarlos. Sí, no me venía, ya me hubiera gustado. Ya. No, te deseas, te deseas. La arte que hiciste para esos cómics es excelente, y luego la arte que hiciste para Spiro y luego cómics, muestra un desarrollo en tu estilo, donde estás usando stronger blacks, a greater sort of sense of chiaroscuro. As you were sort of, like we said, growing up in public in terms of developing your style, at what point did you feel that you had an art style that was recognizably yours, that you were proud to call Geordie Burnett's? Bueno, se, se, yo creo que se, el estilo mío siempre se me ha reconocido, pero aparte del principio, bueno, alguna influencia que tenía, pero... He thinks, except for the very beginning, where maybe he had some influences, as he said, he thinks pretty much 
all the time. He's got his own style. Even Spiro was aimed at a young audience, and the kind of art that we know you for probably has a fair amount of violence, a certain amount of titillation involved. Were you frustrated working in children's comics because you wanted to work on stories that had more of an adult theme? No, 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 porque eran 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 temas que eran muy agradables de dibujar el tema. So at that time he, he was able to choose what he wanted to draw. So mm -hmm. he was drawing what he wanted to draw. So it was nice drawing noir style or just mm -hmm. exotic adventure or anything. So he was happy. Dile que, que con esto siempre he procurado dibujar temas que me gustaran porque ya que so he's, he's lucky enough to to work in a profession where he, he wants to be there and he loves it. So he's been very fortunate to be able to choose what he wanted to do. Even at the times where he was uh, working for, for, for the UK, mm. he was choosing what he wanted to do. And it certainly seems that when we look at your career in general, that it's uh, genre comics that you're well known for, whether it's drawing westerns or drawing film noir. And doing genre comics seems to be something that one can do in Europe rather than say if you got more jobs in America you might eventually be pushed into superhero comics. And so drawing westerns and noir, were those uh, genres that you were already attracted to before you drew them in the pages of comics? Sí, los superhéroes, claro, no es demasiado lo mío. No, me ha gustado mucho el género negro. First he said that superhero is not really his thing. He never wanted to do that. And basically cinema has been his main influence in life, not just for comics, in life. So, especially Western, classic Western, has been his big influence. So, yeah, moving towards that, something that he wants. Mm. Well, I mean, there's an early uh, instalment of Torpedo uh, where actually you segue from an actual film into the strip so that the first six panels of the story are reproductions of stills uh, from James Wales' Frankenstein. That kind of uh, playfulness of literally starting off with the film and then moving into comics... Was that the sort of thing um, that you came up with, or was it the writer's idea? Esto fue idea mía. That was le, his le, idea. Todo, okay. todo el material, dile que se lo dejé yo al guionista, no tenía ni idea. Uh, absolutely everything from that story, that was his idea, all his uh, reference. So the, the, actually, sí, the writer sí, didn't have any, any idea of that. He didn't yeah, really sí. like it. Or tendría no. que tengo, tengo un libro que está desglosado toda la película Frankenstein en, en imágenes, como si fuera un cómic. He has a, an American photo book about ah. Frankenstein movie, so it's... Uh, yeah, I've seen that. Yeah. Mm. So he has that, so that's where he took it from. Torpedo is probably, certainly in America and Britain, uh, one of your titles that is best known, perhaps because it's been translated more than some of your other work. Um, and it was originally commissioned for the Spanish version of Creepy, which was a horror magazine. So how did you end up doing a film noir comic in a horror magazine? It seems a kind of interesting mismatch. Es verdad. Salía torpedo al lado de momias y cadáveres y cosas de estas. Yeah, it's true that it was completely out of place there. And the reason is that the, the publisher had three magazines at the time, and Creepy was the, the lower seller. It was selling really low, so instead of closing it down, they just put torpedo there. Mm. in a hope to, to increase sales, and they did, they boosted sales. Mm. So they, they saved the magazine for two years, and then they stopped and probably died. But well, in Spain, there was a moment that Creepy stopped to publish, but Torpedo was passing... Yeah, in fact, Torpedo has been moving from, from magazine, or had been moving from magazine to magazine. It was already in, in another two magazines, like, on and off. And then he moved to this one, and he said he's been killing off magazine after magazine <laughs> in Spain. <laughs> Everywhere it ended, it just died for some reason. <laughs> When it was in Creepy, I mean, obviously there's that Frankenstein pastiche, but was there ever any pressure to put more horror elements into it to suit the rest of the content of the magazine? Ah, no, no, dile que fue solamente, fue idea de... Not at all, they just had the story because he liked it, he had that book and he wanted to do it. Dile, no, que siempre he trabajado con completa libertad en el caso de Torpedo. Torpedo always had absolute freedom to work. Okay. But it does seem that when you work in certain genres, like in noir or in westerns, you bring in elements from other genres, whether it's humour or elements of horror or elements of absurdity. The idea of working in a certain kind of story and then almost breaking the rules, is that something that appeals to you? Sí, sí, sí. Siempre he tratado, por, por esto que hemos comentado antes, de que se me identifica, que se reconoce mi estilo, siempre he tratado que... He said, yeah, that's part of his style, that's what he does. He integrates several elements, and especially in Torpedo, because there's a, there a big element of, of humour. Mm. He thinks the, the cartoony 
secondary or supporting characters that are very important. That's why he, he specifically uses a more cartoony style mm. for the for those supporting characters. And also in his other work, you know, Clara, his, uh, his other strip, that's, that's also very cartoony. And especially he said when he draws girls, he always does the same girl, but he does it specially. <laughs> so it's the same cartoony girl in all his works. No, y, y también dice que incluso siempre he tratado de, de personajes vivos, amigos. Also, there's family, friends, or famous actors, actresses that are in there in the background somewhere. Mm. Porque el, el caso, no, el caso de Torpedo, por ejemplo, fue fue. Uh, by 1975, when they started working on Torpedo, he was known in Spain at all. He had been working. Pretty much any country in Europe, but not mm. in Spain. So this was a re real opportunity for him to start showing his style in, in Spain. Uh, also, well, from there he said, I don't know, probably you know if you're here, but anyway, this was a torpedo, was a, a rejected project by Alex Toth. He mm. started the series doing the first yeah. two episodes, but then he, he didn't really like that he was very violent. He thought comics should be more educational, and he didn't really like this tough guy, all the profanity and all the mm. violence. So Well, he, he liked giving it a different different view and then put his his uh, style in. No, yo, yo me encontré los dos primeros episodios. Me encontré con este material. Los dos primeros episodios eran una historia de gangsters, pero de, de una manera formal. The first the first two two episodes done by by Toth, they were they were very different. They just didn't really like it. It was like a kind of a generic gangster story. Mm. Even in the last panel and the first story, Torpedo is crying because he's he. Uh, kill the girl so the, the, the tears were removed in the studio and that didn't really okay entonces pues al, al coger este material yo vi que, que la gracia precisamente del personaje es que fuera muy malo so when, when he took over the series he thought that the, the, the really interesting part about Torpedo was that he was really 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 mean but really mean any children <laughs> over them there is a really mean mother <laughs> and that's that's the good thing of torpedo. And then and then they started working on it, and they thought, yeah, he has to be really mean and don't have any regrets and do not kill him at the end of the series. But at the same time, it would be good to add some humor to it. So mm -hmm. the, the, the writers started adding gags and, and funny uh, supporting characters that would be cartoony, but that he really his essence is really evil. Mm -hmm. He is very mean. Ya jugamos más con homenajes a películas antiguas. They started filling the story with tribute to old films. Mm. That's one thing on the, on the graphic side. But then, then there's something that may be lost in translation, literally. Because uh, he's supposed to be an Italian immigrant who doesn't have a really good grasp of English, and he's doing a lot of mistakes, but obviously there are funny mistakes. And the series is written in Spanish, mm. so obviously they don't speak in English. And it, it, yeah, it, keeps, it keeps switching one word for the other. Mm. And he's using, especially Rascal. He's using. Um, I'm adding some of, some of, the, some of my own to this. Not just, but I can tell you that he's adding because I've read it in Spanish and in English. And mm. uh, in, in the Spanish version, Rascal is using a lot of popular sayings, but completely wrong. Mm. He's mixing two of them together. Like it's raining cats and dogs and whatever. So you're saying it's uh, raining cats and marmite, yeah, yeah. <laughs> for instance. And it doesn't make any sense. But then if you think about it. Oh, it's funny, mm. and unfortunately, I have to say a lot of that is lost in English. Mm. And uh, Jimmy Palmiotti me preguntó por un par de páginas de esto. If I may add something mm. myself, uh, because uh, Jimmy Palmiotti, because he worked with with Jordi and Jonah Hex, and mm. I've been exchanging emails with him, and he was asking me a few times about torpedo stories that he was saying. I, I like this story, but it's not funny. He was telling me that it's not funny. This kind of thing is not funny. And I translated a couple of pages for him. I said, oh, that now makes sense. So there's something unfortunately lost, and it's a shame. It's, it's really funny. Mm. Sí, es que es, muy, es, es un poco complicado. Es un poco complicado. El caso era este, que Alex Todd, que, que era, es un, bueno, era un gran dibujante, incluso era amigo, y siempre nos habíamos enviado cartas. No, he, he knew, he knew uh, Alex Todd, and they, they exchanged letters and everything, but he, he thought that comics should be educational, and it, it, he's convinced that this comic was asking for a really, really violent and sadistic side, because he said there should be comics, all, all sorts, educational or not. And this one was asking for it to be very violent, and then to have this, this opposite side, completely opposite humor, mm. kind of ridiculous cartoon put together. 
Well, I was going to ask about the humour because you said that you drew your influence from cinema to a certain extent and some of the genres that you've worked in, whether it's noir or erotic comics, when those genres are presented on film, they're generally quite serious. But then when you do them as comics, they always have a sense of humour or a sense of absurdity to them. Is that just one of your interests as a storyteller, or do you think it comes from working on those humour comics at the start of your career? No, no, it's trying to bring things down to earth. So the most serious of subjects usually are the most ridiculous, or can be, can be the, the, the funniest. So it's trying to humanise the gangsters, and it's a, a torpedo is kind of bombastic with all his necktie and his suit and his hat and, and uh, it's, it's a way of bringing it down to earth bringing humor into it so well in short it comes naturally for him it doesn't really pretty much until his dead Alex Todd kept sending him notes about torpedoes or in English he doesn't speak English so he had them translated in an agency and the agency kept coming back with these notes saying that with an explanation how to draw women's nipples because they are not black <laughs> he kept saying that you keep drawing women's nipples black and they're not black so he has all sorts of schematics on how to draw women's nipples and black and white in a way that they don't look black Alex Todd was a really was a real character and uh, he was a good artist and he was okay but sometimes he was a real character so they were they were making a book about his life and his work so far and uh, he asked him to write an introduction for it so he said 10 days later I just get home I just get this letter at home from Alex Todd with a really nice uh, introduction to the book and a note at the end saying I'm writing this for you so you see I appreciate you and your work but this, uh, this uh, publisher is a real bastard so I'm not going to allow you to publish it so just keep it for yourself but that doesn't go in the book find somebody else they were friends he was funny <laughs> but it's true when I think of kind of westerns that I enjoy it's a mixture of American westerns and indeed European westerns, the classic Sergio Leone titles. And I wonder when um, Jimmy Palmiotti uh, hired you to draw Jonah Hex, it was because the artists who had worked on it so far had been almost too American. And if you want to have a western comic, you need to almost have a European artist working on it because you're ignoring the European tradition of westerns otherwise. No, no, lo que pasó con Jonah Hex es que. En, en DC, pues, todo eran superhéroes. Um, yeah, what happened is that he, they, they wanted him to work at DC, and that was the only non-superhero series at the time, so he chose to draw John Hicks. He could have done anything, so he chose John Hicks, and is also, uh, John Hicks' spaghetti western, everybody dies, and it's kind of ridiculous, so... It wasn't, it wasn't a, one of the most successful series of DC, but... It's a Western with horses and everything, and because he likes Westerns and classic Westerns, so he went for it. Mm. Well, I heard you mention John Ford, so yeah. are there certain Western directors who were an influence on you when it came to drawing the See, John Ford, Howard Hawks, uh, William Wellman, etc. Gente importante. Y, y sobre todo, me ha gustado mucho el cine negro de la época americana, de los años 50, por ahí, ¿no? De Robert Sigma, de John Huston, todo este tipo de... Well, I think you heard the names of the directors. Uh, yeah, uh, not only uh, Western, but uh, Houston. And he said he likes his comics, if possible, to be read without words. The storytelling is actually the key in his, in his books, so in his art. So he tries to do it in a way that words wouldn't be necessary. And he thinks they are like parallel, parallel media, the cinema and, and comic book in that aspect. Mm. Well, in, indeed, uh, Miguel was telling me before we started that uh, I believe there's an article or a book just on uh, Jordi Burnett's sound effects. <laughs> if you could talk a little about that. No, este libro lo hizo un amigo de allí, un gran conocedor de cómics que se llama Luis Gasca. It's just one friend of his from Barcelona, Luis Gasca. So he got the idea of, of making a book just with sound effects, and then 
Because he likes his joystick as many as you want. Yeah. Pero que es una buena idea porque la onomatopeia en el cómic está, está muy ligada, ¿no? es muy, un elemento muy importante. It's a great idea, it's a very important element in books, actually, in comic books. A veces es difícil porque en España los tiros suenan diferente que en Estados Unidos y, los, ¿eh? y te armas un lío de coña. It, it is interesting as well because things sound different in different languages. They sound different in Spanish and in English. So this is a comic book done in, in, in Spain, in Spanish, but he's using uh, actually English uh, sound effects because for him they sound better. Hmm. But maybe I can say like in, in Spain you wouldn't say blam blam, like or bam blam when you're banging on a on a door. Maybe you say boom boom hmm. or something different. Or you got a mixture. No, pero es, es muy importante. Las bueno, yo no conocía American Vampire y, y, y dile que el dibujante y el guionista Snyder se llama Snyder he didn't know he didn't know American Vampire before but they asked him uh, to do it they sent him the reference he liked it and he just had freedom he did what he wanted and he enjoyed it simple as that we've got about 15 minutes left for questions so if anyone in the audience has anything they'd like to ask Johnny stick up your hand the question on art how do you work Computer. No, uy, no, yo voy a escribir un libro que se llama Los ordenadores y la madre que los parió. ¿Por qué no? I'm going to start in the end. He said he's, he really would like to know how to work with computers. No, no. Además creo que es un, siempre hay que hacer cosas con las manos. El hombre está para hacer cosas manuales y se acostumbra demasiado a los botones. He says computers are an invention from hell. And, uh, <laughs> Esto lo he entendido. Yeah. Yeah, he uses pen and an ink pot and a brush. Yeah. No, dile que tengo, eh. Tengo ordenador, ¿eh? No, he has a computer ah, at home. Me, me comunico por ordenador y tal, sí, bueno. pero bueno. No. Yeah, he has a computer at home and he, he wants me to tell you that he uses that for communication with other people, not with me. A veces en, en, en Jonah Hex, por ejemplo, tengo ahí un colorista americano que es muy bueno, que les gusta yeah. mucho, pero... This uh, colorist in Jonah Hex so sends him the, the color uh, the test to see if he likes them. I like them. The computer, they look good, but then they print them and it's really, really strong and you cannot even see the, his brush strokes or anything. He doesn't like it, but what can you do? How large do you work? How, how big is the original artwork compared to a three-pound? It doesn't really have a fixed size. Mm. He used to do uh, 40 times 30, which was kind of standard paper in Spain before. Uh, lately, he's been using the DC paper, 11, 17 inches. And yeah, the, he works mainly on ink and, and brush, and then some something with the... Uh, no, he enjoys getting his hands dirty with ink and mm. the ink spots and... and Spilling es muy difícil de decir porque en la época de Franco había había más cómic. It was it was very different obviously for several reasons not just for I think what you imply for, mainly because of the amount of the publications the, the, the amount of comics mainly children comics because they were all like very wide and plain and there was really nothing into them that they could censor but anyway there were hundreds of comics and then even in the 80s Uh, he said he was counting up to 22 weekly magazines, comic book magazines, these anthologies, uh, at the newsstands, and now there are none. So it's a, it's a different situation, that's the first thing. But then, regarding censorship, which is probably what you meant, uh, his father used to work, on a, or he used to work in a series um, 
called Don Pancho is about a Mexican character and his wife. Pero dile que era un muñeco de humor, eh. It was a cartoony, really cartoony strip, and uh, his wife used to wear braided hair, just two thick braids, and they got a they got a, a letter from the censor saying that she had to stop using the braids because they were very provocative and sexy. Dice que eran, eran psicópatas peligrosos, ¿eh? los dos, dos, dos tíos que estaban metidos en esto. Yo de niño, cuando era muy jovencito, me miraba todo lo que se publicaba en España. Porque su padre trabajaba en el publisher, he got all the comics for free. So he could read every single comic that was being published and he enjoyed all of them and uh, he remembers uh, one that was a big influence for him by a Dutch artist called Hans Kreiser I don't know if you know him he used to do Eric the Norseman and he was he was he was a medieval kind of comic and he was serious but he wasn't sexy at all he was just kind of realistic if you want to call it everything was yeah, absolutely everything helmets swords everything was really 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 detailed and then women suddenly there was something like a like it didn't like a mess in here something that wouldn't make any sense like a blur and he didn't understand why and later on he found out that it was the censor with uh, with the white paint Just, just painting on the, on the women's breast. En, en, en todas las viñetas siempre salía y en viñetas que, se, por ejemplo, había una chica una falda hasta aquí, la falda llegaba hasta they were, aquí. They were, ¿eh? they were elongating the, the skirts, just making them longer, just throwing, <laughs> just erasing the, the, the line. The, Era una censura muy, muy, muy carca, muy, muy estúpida. ¿no? Yeah, really old-fashioned and stupid censorship. Any other questions? Just to appear to a reaction to that, then, mm -hmm. the uncompromising violence and the, you know, the reacting against that? Sí, igual sí. Igual sí, maybe, porque llega un momento que si lo puedes hacer, pues digo, oye, pues lo haces, ¿no? ¿Eh? Maybe, because maybe it un poco comes to sí. the point in which maybe I'm allowed to do it, so I will do it. Bueno, y esto, esto que he comentado son cosas de, de, dentro de todo que en el fondo... Uh, and sí. We're talking about humor and cartoons, but if you will go into politics or just comics with a background in politics, you, you will really getting into dangerous ground. Uh, the, perhaps the only comic book magazine left in Spain is called El Jueves. It's, it's a satire that's still going on. It's been going on for what? It's going on for about 40 years. So even, even in the later years of the dictatorship, uh, one of the artists there, he got two court marshals. He wasn't a military, but he was court marshal twice for, for his cartoons about the army. Sí, sí, lo, lo habían suspendido. Lleva 40 años, pero lo han suspendido 4 o 5 veces. ¿eh? Yeah, in fact. Fue un chiste sobre la Guardia Civil. Yeah, they were, they were making magazines about the army or the police, and these magazines have been shut down several times, even in, in recent years. Lo que pasa es que nosotros estamos contentos porque la suprimen una semana, pero luego la otra se vende el doble. ¿no? Yeah, they, they actually enjoy that because if one week it's been, it's, uh, maybe they, they, they shut down for one week, the next week they will sell twice as much. So por un lado hay que buscar siempre un poco el escándalo. Yeah, so. Bueno. No, cuando trabajaba para Inglaterra, a todos nos enviaban los, los guiones, nos los enviaban... All, all this work was agency work, and it was Spanish agencies, in fact. The agency got the commission, and they passed it on to the artist. So the, the agency got the, the script, and they translated it, and he got it in Spanish. But he said sometimes he didn't know any of the writers, or hardly ever. And he said it was very interesting that sometimes for one panel he got a description this long. When he finished reading, he didn't remember The, the beginning already, I didn't know what to do. No, porque dile que tengo la impresión que muchos eran más que guionistas de cómics, eran escritores de novelas. Yeah. Y entonces a veces te contaban una secuencia que un tipo entraba en el salón y sacaba una moneda del bolsillo y la tiraba en el mismo cuadro, ¿no? He has the impression that they were more, more than comic book um, writers, they were just writers, like novel writers, because sometimes he got in one panel, there was a cowboy walking in a, in a salón and taking a coin and flipping the coin. And you cannot do that in one in one panel. <laughs> so they, they were doing too much. So he said he needed to send the, to submit the, the sketches for approval. And then in, in London they would say what they like. Well, it had to be changed and send it back, and he would ink it then. But the, the first panel in the in the book was a large panel, and he, they used to do that on cardboard, on heavy cardboard, and that couldn't be modified later on. It had to be redone completely. 
So he was really, really tired of, of the same guy always rejecting his drawings and say, oh, the drawing is perfect, just can you do it? Just reverse, like a mirror image or something. I said, that cannot be done, I need to redo it. So, so what he started doing was sending so uh, loose and rough sketches that they wouldn't know what was going on, and they would say, okay, approved. And then he would just do whatever he wanted. He always worked like that. Brilliant. Go on. Was the post Sí, y algunas, y algunas veces abrían el correo también, dile que sí. Yeah, sometimes they opened the mail. The, the, sí. the mail was open, but at least he didn't have issues with that. Cool. Well, uh, Jordi, Miguel, thank you very much for coming Hombre, to the Thank you very much. About your work. It's y vuelve, vuelve a decirles que, que les agradezco mucho la paciencia y que lamento esto de no poder dirigirme a ellos en inglés. No, he, he appreciates your patience and uh, he's sorry he couldn't speak English, but I'm not because I got the chance to do this, so thank you as well for myself. <laughs> The Torpedo Saga by Geordie Burnett is available now on Amazon and all good book retailers. And you can buy original art by Geordie Burnett by going to artcoholics.net. That's www.artcoholics.net. The Lakes International Comic Art Festival takes place in Kendall every year in October, with this year's festival having a larger online presence, with concerns that social distancing will be still happening in the autumn. To find out more about this year's festival, please go to comicartfestival.co.uk. In the second half of today's programme, you'll hear my interview with Italian comic book creator Egot. Recently, Egot has directed the film adaptation of his own graphic novel, Five is the Perfect Number, a tremendous tale about a retired gangster coming back to the business to avenge the death of a family member and the various twists and turns that this saga takes him on. I interviewed Egot after a screening of the film at the Made in Italy Festival at the Institut Francais in London, and to give you a flavour of the film, Here's an extract from the trailer. Dodo, so Pepino, io ho bisogno di te. Pepino, sapevo che saresti tornato. Lasciamo perdere la vita, o è pericoloso. I've read the graphic novel of Five is the Perfect Number and I've watched the movie and I really enjoy both iterations of the story. I think they're both terrific. But as someone who has a really great reputation as a graphic novelist, as a cartoonist... Why to put me in danger? Well, I was going to ask. You know, it's, it's one thing to be known for one medium. But then when you go to a studio and say, I'd like to make a movie of my book, how much of a challenge was that? No, uh, it didn't happen this way. Okay. I didn't want to uh, to direct a movie adaptation of the of my book. Uh, they were calling me mm. uh, since 2004. The book has been published in 2002. And uh, two years after, they started asking me to make the movie adaptation. Mm. And uh, my only condition was that I had to write the script. Uh, I didn't want to direct mm. because I like very much cinema. Mm. 
And I like very much to watch movies. And I was not sure that I wanted to go back back to the camera to see how the world is from that point of view. Mm. But little by little, while I was starting working with... Uh, because there has been a lot of uh, several productions that came one after the other. The, the movie has been always optioned. Mm. The book has been always optioned to become a movie since 2004 up to 2018, mm. when we finally shoot. Okay. But since the very first day after we met uh, with Tony Servillo, he insisted that I had to direct it. Hmm. So while working and while I, while writing, there, is, there has been a lot of different uh, possible movie directors. And uh, finally, uh, the fourth time that we sold the rights and uh, the script, I decided that I had to direct it hmm. because... Uh, uh, I didn't want to lose the original spirit of the story, which sure. is in between uh, irony and tragedy. And that's not easy to to follow in, mm. while making against a movie. Mm. Uh, so th- this was, but it was natural because the story was has been conceived this way since the beginning. So Yeah. Well, it's interesting, you know, even looking at the credits of the film, obviously you're the director and the writer and you're also the art director. So I guess, you know, because the look of the story on the page was so important to you, to actually have a hand in the design of the movie means that it was an even more accurate translation of the comic to the film. But yeah, but in a way, uh, what I wanted was to work in a with the same method that I'm using while I am telling a story, mm-hmm. which we, which is like to, you know, I'm a gambler and uh, I like to push the potentiality of a medium. So I've been, uh, during my career of storytelling cartoons in comics, I mean, in, or in graphic novels, as we call them uh, when, if they are long nowadays, mm. I've been working with Japanese editors and they are very very good Mm. very great masters of storytelling so i have learned a lot it has been very important uh, while i was making a movie because uh, the point was uh, okay we have this story and these characters now we have to reinvent Mm. all the story in real life because we were shooting in naples uh, 90% is sh- shot in, in the real city. Mm. I had uh, all Napolitan cast, so all actors uh, and uh, all people that were working to build up this uh, fresco was coming from Naples and they are very jealous of their culture. <laughs> so you cannot do mistakes. Mm. And uh, Naples is a very, very cultivated city. It has a very strong literary theatrical and musical tradition. Mm. So they have to accept you. Uh, well, I mean, and also, because the film set in the 1970s, you had to find parts of the city that hadn't looked like they'd changed in 50 years. After we have, uh, we have changed it, if there were parables or modern stuff, uh, mm. we have uh, worked in with a VFX to, to delete uh, or change mm. all this. But yes, uh, and I wanted to create a kind of gloomy and uh, dark city that was the mirror mm. of, of his solitude. That was very important for me to create uh, not... Uh, my way of looking at things uh, is not the uh, neorealism. I think uh, we have a very great tool, great opportunity, and I am closer, in a way, to theatre, Mm. than to neorealism. Although if we were uh, shooting in the streets uh, mm. and they are real streets and uh, they decaying mm. in a way, there, there, there is this kind of decadence mm. of the city that was speaking to me and that was part of the heart of the story. Mm. Uh, the story is a story of an old man that lives for his son and suddenly he realizes that maybe he has not understood anything about life. <laughs> there is a big accident, which is the death of his son, which is killed. And uh, this is like the, the little light from which he starts reconsidering things. Mm. And maybe he understands uh, that maybe 
He did not understand. He did not understand nothing. Mm. And that was the point. Uh, in a way, it's uh, entertainment. But uh, I like, if possible, to have deep entertainment mm. to put questions to the to the audience, mm. to my readers, or to the audience of a, of a movie. Well, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but uh, considering the lead character is perhaps in his 70s, he would have been an active assassin, member of the, the gangster world, maybe 40 years earlier, uh, 30 years earlier, which would take us into the time of film noir, which seems to be something that has very much influenced the look of this movie. So almost as if he's moved back into the 1940s, so has kind of the cinematography. He is... Uh, there are... Uh... Uh, several uh, passages. Uh, mm. Peppino Lo Cicero is someone uh, which is uh, time has stopped for him. He he dresses mm. uh, like if he were at the end of the forties. His song is uh, a little bit out of fashion. We are, he is not wearing stuff uh, because the education that his father is giving him is uh, like a man of honor, mm. and so he is. Is wearing stuff like if, if we were like in the 50s, uh, going to mm. the 60s. And after the rest is 70s. Mm. The point is uh, uh, that uh, this is a kind of uh, crepuscular mm. uh, mood because uh, at, at the, in the first part of the 70s, the old gangsters were starting feeling that something was changing. At the, at the end of the 70s, the beginning of the 80s, uh, it arrived the NCO, Nuova Camorra Organizzata, mm -hmm. which is uh, all uh, with white collars. There are not killing, not big, uh, uh, big fightings in the streets as it was it, uh, it was the tradition of mm. like uh, Chicago style. I mean, mm. in Italy it was the same. A lot of shooting, etc. And the NCO started dealing with the drug uh, in international uh, trade. And uh, so this story is like a flash in a moment in which something will change totally. We definitely change. And this man is someone that is uh, having the perception that something is changing and he doesn't know how to catch time mm. back. So when... He hides in the cinema, and uh, there are sh there are screening a movie, and this movie is not a kind of uh, Edward G. Robinson, James mm. Cagney. Yeah, it's a retro that, kung fu uh, movie. Yeah, that he was supposed yeah. to uh, used to see. Mm. He watched this movie and this kind of kung fu movie, mm. and in the '72, this was the first movie arriving in Italy from uh, uh, from uh, Hong Kong. Huh which was so like a revolution. Mm. And he watched this movie and he doesn't understand what he's saying <laughs> because it is a something. And this was, uh, the intention was to create a kind of uh, loss mm. of uh, uh, fragility mm. in, the, in the character because uh, uh, this criminal Kasba, in which is going down at the beginning and he was supposed to, to know uh, perfectly mm. where to move uh, all the little streets, etc. Mm. All this is something that is not sure anymore mm. to control. But at the same time, it feels like it's a city that's crumbling, all of the streets that he inhabits, the place where he hid his old gun and the comic that he loved as, uh, as a kid, or that, rather his son loved as a kid. These are all kind of uh, ruins almost. Yeah. And so the world that he's expecting to inhabit has kind of like disintegrated. Yeah, exactly. It, this, yeah. Is, this is the, the, the mood and the sense of, uh, of, the, of the movie. And the only, when, when I was working with Valeria Golino, the, the female character, you know, I told her that uh, she, in a way, is the hidden protagonist of the movie mm. because she's the only one who really knows where to go mm. that means far away <laughs> uh, and out of Naples this is a story of an old man that uh, never came out from this city mm. he tells uh, I've never uh, uh, a, a woman uh, predict me reading my hand that I wouldn't have been traveled very much in my life uh, now I'm 62 and I've never get out from Naples mm. Uh, and uh, but this woman, uh, this Rita, the the, the woman that uh, was uh, waiting for him, 
since 20 years, uh, she was surrounded by criminality. Her mm. father was uh, an old gangster. Her, her brother comes and goes out of Pojorale, which is the Naples prison. And, uh, and uh, the, the man she loves uh, is a gangster. Mm. She awaits, but she knows that uh, she wants another life. Mm. She's a little teacher of a primary school, you know? <laughs> and uh, but she keeps the point, and uh, she gets down the hell like mm. uh, uh, Orfeo, mm. Orfeo saying, yeah, in, in the you know? underworld, yeah. And uh, but she is Orfeo. Mm. She gets down. She shoots and uh, take him out. Mm. And after they run out in the South America, in South America is the <laughs> color. Yeah, yeah. With the, it's the kind of Eden, no? Mm. It's, uh, yeah. With palm trees, the sea, quiet life. And the light is completely different. Yeah. And the yeah. light and the colors are completely different. Mm. That was, but of course, this movie is even a journey mm. into the tradition of modern cinema, of the genre cinema, mm. trying to redefine, in a way, the rules, no? Mm. Well, and, and for you, you know, you've told the story twice now. You did it as a graphic novel, and then you've now made it as a movie. Obviously, when you're creating a world on the page, you can evoke all sorts of different environments with just a few movements of the brush pen. To then make a similar atmosphere on film, where you have to think about the set, you have to think about the furniture, you have to think about the lighting. How easily did that come to you? But it's much easier. Really? I would have thought the opposite. Uh, of course. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's much easier because... When you have to draw it, you have to be able to draw anything. Well, the lights, the costumes, you have to have the documentation, you have to, to know how to make move mm. the character. Mm. When you have great actors, Tony Servillo was stealing the mimic from the comic book, mm. was putting the arms behind the back mm. uh, or putting, uh, watching this way or moving, moving uh, the face uh, in a very genre mimic and it was mm. stealing from from the comic book i didn't ask him he was he was watching and uh, reproducing reinventing it mm. when you have a dop like nicolai bruvelle mm. it's easy you know mm. when we were shooting the scenes in uh, house of rita uh, i told him i would like to have a casorati do you know who casorati is sorry no, and he didn't he didn't know to. Okay. And so I showed him a painter with my iPad. Mm. And half an hour later, we had a Casorati. Oh, amazing. So yeah. when you work with great artists and in cinema, it's possible. Yeah. You you know, once Terry Gillian told to Tarantino that all the game in cinema was to choose the good people mm. that could have been able to realize what you had in mind. Yes. So, for me, it's pretty easy because uh, it's, uh, I'm able to draw it. Mm. So, to express, to show, that's why it's written Art Direction by Igor. Mm. Because, and this was, from the other point of view mm. of the crew, a nightmare <laughs> because I could draw it. And uh, I, when I wanted the hunchback house, mm. I sketch it as I wanted. Mm. All the stuff... Uh, and where to put the table, and where to put the lights, uh, etc. After you have, uh, you know, like a very, very great team that works with you, and mm. that's uh, funny, mm. that's uh, beautiful. Uh, the costume designer, Nicoletta Taranta, she's a genius. I was, I, I had tears when she, she showed me mm. uh, the book of her works. Uh, I was moved because she's a, a a great, a fantastic artist. So I draw for her some things uh, mm. and uh, she was putting more. Mm. She was challenging. Mm. And the same of, for Nicolas Bruel, the DOP. Mm. When we were working, I asked him, I want the very long shadows like in Especially Movies. Uh, I want the Controluce, you know, with colors. Okay. And, uh, and it was not only making this it was even proposing me silhouettes hmm. and it was like you know and that makes it more like the comic having the chiaroscuro yeah but yeah. you know i was telling him are you 
crazy. We got the, the most powerful actors that we have in Italy, and you put them in the silhouette. They are all black. But it works. Mm. And so that's, I was happy. Mm. Did you feel that you ever had to make any compromises with the film? I mean, I was surprised to see that at the beginning of each chapter, you still have that really interesting frame, the same way that each chapter is introduced in the graphic novel with a very kind of stylized image of the the lead. But then conversely, uh, the scene where the gangster's son is talking about his dream of having a cat inside him and then turning into a cat, you show that in the comic, but you just have it as a discussion in the film. So... I guess you had to make some compromises. No, it's not compromise. I have to follow and respect the the movie language. Okay. I ask to the animators to animate these scenes. Ah. And after I cut out, so imagine how happy was the production. <laughs> uh, I cut them out because uh, I thought it was too arty. Okay. I wanted to keep the tension mm. between the fake magician and the killer that is supposed to kill mm. and after he's killed. Mm. So it was a very strong electricity between the two actors and the characters were growing up very, very, very fast. Mm. So why do I have to break all this, <laughs> uh, put in the, the vision? Yeah. It was funny. It was beautiful. They they made a fantastic animation in the 30s style, exactly mm. as I draw it. DVD extra? They, they are, yes. <laughs> they, are, uh, they are in the DVD as extra. And uh, there are even some scenes that uh, were wonderful and stunning for the acting mm. that I cut out mm. just for a question of rhythm mm. of the story. Storytelling. When when you got a movie, you know a movie. It's a it's an organism, living organism. I just obey. I'm a little soldier. That I have to follow it and see how it grows up. How does it speak? Mm. And when it does not speak, what is happening? What I could do to to give oxygen to mm. make it get back to life? And uh, so. The only compromise is uh, that I have to respect the the, the sense of storytelling mm. because we had some scenes the hunchback did not exist as a character in the movie and we cut some scenes. Uh, like, for instance, when he shoots against the cross with the Christ, uh, it was too melodramatic. So we didn't shoot. We, we, we made a, a rehearsal and after... Uh, I watched Tony, I was not convinced, and he told me, it's too much. Mm. And so it works with the language of comics, I think. Yeah. But with the actors, with the body, with the, it becomes melodrama. And if it becomes melodrama, you're killing the movie. So mm. cut. Yeah. No, well, I mean, I guess a, a similar type of storytelling, a similar type of, type of graphic novel that made it to film would be Frank Miller's Sin City. And I felt with that movie, while they made such a brilliant job of making it look the same, it's great to read the dialogue, but then when people speak it, it doesn't quite work because it's too melodramatic. Yeah. So you have to change things when you move from one medium to another. Of course. Uh, I, I wanted... I don't like Sin City. Sin mm. City is a, a very good um, style exercise. Mm. But... Um, not interesting in the storytelling, and I think the characters are too much. Mm. What we were trying to depict are little men. You know, our starting point is not uh, was not a, a kind of a cartoony vision mm. of life. Although there is a bit of a kind of a Dick Tracy thing going on. Yes, with the... <laughs> of course, it comes from this, from from the comic of Dick Tracy, not from the yeah. movie that I hate. Yes. Uh, but uh, uh, even uh, Duca di Montefeltro is a painting, very famous painting in Italy of the Italian pro- uh, tradition that has this nose. Right. Uh, when we were uh, entering, there are a lot of visions. Uh, it's uh, like a kaleidoscope. Mm. Uh, cinema is this. Uh, we we had the music, uh, we have the genre tradition. There is an, an homage to uh, a lot of... of history of cinema mm. um, but uh, what I wanted was uh, a story mm. possibly moving 
Mm. Uh, and I wanted that we take care of what happens to the main characters. Mm. And this uh, is something that comes when you work little by little with the with the actors. Mm. Uh, for instance, uh, Tony Servillo <clears throat> was moved by that kind of uh, innocent beauty mm. of his son. Mm. I mean, of the actor. Mm. He told me, in, just in my ears, <laughs> he told me, this boy has, is still a children. Mm. So when he dies, he was moved mm. re for real because it was uh, the identification mm. and even the, the 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 words that he say how beautiful you are my son mm. this was an improvisation by Tony Servillo and we liked it because it was perfect mm. and it was him watching the purity of this life the innocence mm. that after goes to die and so life changes you know, it's mm. upside down and, and then that reinforces the reason why he can't kill his son's killer at the end, because he also has a youth yeah, and an says, innocence. Uh, yeah, exactly, you know. exactly. He mentioned it, that he could have been a 16-year-old boy. Mm. And that's, I mean, what we were working was uh, in the idea of the artificial. Mm. But artificial does not belong only to comics. Artificial is theatre. Mm. And... Uh, I was working with uh, Servillo. Servillo is a master of uh, of theater. Mm. He's a, a real maestro. And the uh, same we can say for Bucciroso. They are of their days, uh, they are on stage in the theaters. Mm. So, and even one point that was the connection between me and Tony was the love of Chekhov mm. uh, and love of... Uh, Neapolitan the theater like uh, uh, Eduardo and uh, all this is something that was uh, the stru main structure and we started building up on all this mm. upon all this and uh, uh, little by little the story went out I, I started uh, uh, writing and drawing the story when I was in Tokyo in 1944 uh, <laughs> You're not that old. 1994. <laughs> sorry, uh, and um, I was working for Kodansha, mm. and uh, and the story uh, grew up little by little. Mm. And after, uh, after I did not even think that it could become a movie, but uh, it was maybe it's destiny because they were asking. Uh, several times to do this kind of adaptation and uh, I can say that I'm happy that we have done it with the Neapolitan actors etc because I think it's really a, a, the new thing of this movie if there is a new thing is that uh, it's all based in a city that we are supposed to know in a totally different way, mm. with the light, with the happiness, and pizza mandolino, and go on. And uh, I didn't want anything like this. Mm. Uh, so it's uh, it has been uh, interesting to recreate, to reinvent Naples for me. This mm. movie has been this occasion. Cool. Thank you very much. Thanks to you. The film of Five is the Perfect Number is available on Blu-ray in Italy. However, this edition doesn't contain any English subtitles, so unless you're fluent in the language, then I'm afraid you're going to have to wait until the movie gets a British distributor. The graphic novel, however, is available in English, alongside other titles such as Baobab, Japanese notebooks, and the Ukrainian and Russian notebooks, Life and Death Under Soviet Rule. As mentioned earlier, my interview with Egot was recorded at the Made in Italy Festival. And for more information about the Institut Francais, where the Made in Italy Festival took place, and who also program various comic book events throughout the year, please go to institut-francais.org.uk. That's I-N-S-T-I-T-U-T-F-R-A-N-C-A-I-S. .org.uk. As the lockdown eases, then British comic book shops should be reopening on June the 15th. 
However, a number of comic book shops in the UK do a mail order service. So if you'd like to support your local comic shop, then have a look online for their website and order titles to keep these businesses afloat. You can find all previous episodes of Panel Borders on our website, www.panelborders.wordpress.com, including interviews with the likes of Alan Moore, Neil Gaiman, Audrey Neffenegger, Dave Gibbons, Hannah Eaton, Garth Ennis, and many more. And on the other monthly programme that I present on Resonance FM, Architecture Culture, in this month's programme, I'm talking to a pair of female comic book creators who have created comics based on their walks around the UK. Peony Ghent is talking about her walks around Wakefield, which she's combined with poetry to produce fold-out posters for the Yorkshire Sculpture Festival. And I'm also talking to Lizzie Stewart, a graphic novelist whose book, Walking Distance, focuses on the depiction of women walking in movies and how that compares to real life. Architecture Culture will be broadcast on the 17th of June at 5.30 on Resonance FM. Panel Borders was recorded, edited and introduced by Alex Fitch and is a Panel Borders production. The next episode of Panel Borders will be broadcast on the 8th of July, so I hope you'll tune in again then. And as ever, thanks for listening. This program has been brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM. If you liked what you heard and want to support our work, please make a donation at fundraiser.resonance.fm.